Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. My name is Mike Siegel. I am the host of this podcast. My guest today is Alice Candell. Before we get to Alice, I want to give some announcements. First and foremost, the website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see pictures of our guests. You can see links to all their social media and websites. You can see articles that I've written over the past and some of the guests have written and all that good stuff. And by links to social media, I mean our social media as well. And that is, of course, uh, Instagram. We are Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Please follow us there. Our Facebook page, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. We are Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. If you can go there and give us a follow, I would appreciate it. And there are links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, please, please give us a good rating, huh? I would appreciate that. It costs you nothing, yet it boosts our presence, and that helps people find the show, and that's always a cool thing. So if you can do that, I would appreciate it. And subscribe! If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Let me paint a picture for you right now. I am on a ship in the Tasman Sea between New Zealand and Australia. It has been a whirlwind month, folks. For four weeks, I will be hitting four continents. Five, if you believe New Zealand's new latest news, that they are also a continent. I don't know. I don't know what the ruling is on that. But yes, it has been uh, crazy. I mentioned uh, earlier episodes that I was taking off to Antarctica. And I spent uh, two weeks on the ship in Antarctica on the Seabourn Quest. My first experience on Seabourn, which is a luxury cruise line and uh, beautiful beautiful i worked with some uh, really great people uh so three british entertainers luckily we all got along great uh taffy spencer uh, fiona jessica wilson and uh, davy house they're all all really great entertainers and uh, it was just fun fun hanging out with them met a lot of cool people on the ship it was a smaller cruise ship that i'm used to it was only 450 people and uh, that's good because any any ships over 500 passengers can't uh, land on Antarctica. That's kind of the rule. And so we took these little Zodiac boats on shore. I had to meet the ship in Ushuaia, Argentina, which was the bottom of the world. The last, I guess they call it the end of the road. And it really is. It's the uh, southernmost city in the world, and uh, it was it was quite an adventure to get there, about 25 hours of travel, but I made it and uh, got to see Antarctica, which was an incredible experience, and I, I realized how lucky I was, you know, to, to get that experience. I, that was the last continent I had to, to touch down on, and now that I've done it, I realize how special it is. I might mean, have got to see a lot of penguins, not going to lie to you, a lot of penguins, and they're awesome. You know, I have a thing for penguins. I like them. Who hates penguins? No one hates penguins. But you know what? When you're around them, they really are kind of cool. 
and you just can't stop looking at them. They're just uh, they they waddle around and they're just adorable and uh, you know they look kind of ridiculous when they walk, but really friendly, really uh, uh, just uh, imminently watchable. And we were supposed to make six stops on land in Antarctica. We only got four due to weather. Um, if the if the water was too rough, we couldn't take the Zodiac boats out which are the small, you know, the fit like 10 people, pontoon boats that we land with. So um, that was kind of a drag that those two days. But one of those days we got to go through Wilhelmina Bay, which was really, really incredible. I'm going to have photo albums of all this on our Facebook page. So if you can go to uh, Facebook and follow us there, it may not be till I get back. I'm recording this. I should get back the, sec- the 6th of, um, of March. God, it's March already. I'm recording this on March 1st. And, uh, yeah, but uh, made great friends. And so I booked, along the way, I booked a, another trip to uh, on the Seabourn Encore that goes from, uh, I was meeting a ship in Dunedin, New Zealand, on the South Island, and six days later, ending in Melbourne. And it's been 21 years since I've been in New Zealand and Australia, and I'm very excited about it. We got to go through uh, Milford Sound the other day, which is gorgeous. Gorgeous, and I did this on a bus tour 21 years ago, and uh, it was no less beautiful going back now. Although we stayed in the bay, we didn't get to go to land on this one, which was, you know, kind of a bummer. But we got a beautiful day, beautiful weather, and uh, I am going to spend a weekend in Melbourne when we when we land. I'm, I land the third, and I am uh, going to spend the weekend there. I wanted to spend longer in Australia, but unfortunately. Or fortunately, I booked another gig. <laughs> so I'll be going down to Mexico for a six-day thing starting the 11th. So that's uh, it's good to be busy, but I would have loved to have stayed a little longer, maybe see Tasmania, but uh, maybe on a, hopefully on another trip. You just never know. So in that aspect, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, it was a three-week trip for the passengers in the Antarctica cruise. So three weeks on a luxury cruise line, you can imagine uh, it's a pretty exclusive crowd. I mean, Newt Gingrich and his wife, Newt Gingrich, the famous Republican uh, former Speaker of the House, he he was on the ship. And if you would have told me 20 years ago that I'd be in the same piano bar on a ship with Newt Gingrich and his wife, um, I wouldn't have believed you. But yet, there I was. Didn't talk to the man, but um, yeah, people said he was nice. I'm going to leave that there. But as for Seabourn, it's beautiful. It's pretty much on the same level as the Crystal Cruises that I uh, performed on. Just high-end, all-inclusive, and a pretty exclusive clientele. And I got to uh, meet uh, a handful of these uh, these passengers and get along with them. And you, we, we, you know, you were unavoidable on the ship. You know, if you were going to leave the, your room, you were going to run into the same people all the time. And one of the people I met was a woman named Alice Kendall who was from Manhattan, and she was unique in that she stayed up late, like a true Manhattan person. <laughs> but she was uh, one of the few people uh, late night in the, in the piano bar with her and her friends, and uh, we, we just got to talking. And the more I talked to her and the more I learned about her life story and went to her Wikipedia page, which uh, was impressive, and she got to tell me her story. And she agreed to sit down with me, which uh, a lot of people don't want to do. There was a there was a number of other people on the ship that I asked to uh, do an interview, and you know that's their prerogative to say no. A lot of people aren't really comfortable talking about themselves or 
uh, you know, just don't want to do it. And that's cool. I respect it. I don't bother people to do it. If they don't want to do it, that's fine. But uh, Alice agreed to take one day. We were going through the Drake Passage, which was rough. Boy, this was, uh, you know, one of the downsides to a smaller ship is that you feel the waves a little more. And the Drake Passage going down was fine. Coming back up, a little rough. And so one afternoon, I went up to her cabin on deck eight. And the wind was so strong, you'll notice that there are, uh, especially early in the interview, there's a wind noise just coming through the doors of uh, that lead to her balcony. We tried to uh, stifle them. It's it's just tough. It was the wind was really strong, so there's a little bit of whistling there. So if you're wondering what that noise is, that's what it is. It, it kind of gets um, it goes away a little bit toward the end of it. But uh, sorry, there's nothing I could do about it. I didn't want to drag her downstairs and or take up a, a loud uh, you know, common area. So. There's a little noise on that. I had my little handheld digital recorder. So I'm putting that out there. And there's also, uh, maybe she talks very soft, so I was trying to get the sound uh, as good as I could. So uh, there's a little popping of the peas in the microphone, and that, that's what happens sometimes. But these are minor things, but I just wanted to uh, apologize for any sound issues you might hear. That's uh, Usually I try to keep it crystal clear. So one of the things I love about travel is that it puts people together who might not otherwise meet. And uh, if you keep your ears open and you keep open to meeting new people, it's amazing who, who you'll meet. I mean, along with Newt Gingrich on this ship was uh, Alice, who has worked, uh, you know, she knows the Clintons personally. So, <laughs> needless to say, Alice didn't hang out with Newt too much, but Alice has lived a, a pretty interesting life, and we only scratched the surface. There was more there off, uh, off mic that she uh, didn't talk about, but... There's only so much time, and you know I respect people's privacy, but really an interesting woman who's led a, a really interesting life. So thank you, Alice, for taking the time to talk to me, and please enjoy my conversation with Alice Kandel. So I did my homework on you, okay. and what I found was the... Uh, the mention all your work in India, that was the main basis. Sikkim. Yeah, S I K K I M. S I K K I M. Okay, and you wrote two books on it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I that part did was do true. Homework. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, it's one little page, but it's uh, you know yeah. you're there with a lovely photo of you and from the '60s. Yeah, yeah. Of you <laughs> and yeah, and there's also great some great photos that I guess you took. You were a photographer yeah. there as well. Yes, I was. The king asked me to go around the country which I did for like months in a Jeep and <laughs> up in the mountains. We, and they gave me a, a mule and everything. A mule? A mule. We, we, and you can't walk anymore. You go by a mule. When the mule can't walk anymore, you walk again. <laughs> and I took pictures of everybody up in the Himalayas, up in the, on the border of Tibet, uh, all the people up there and their lives. And I, I made a book of it. And he was, I guess he had a premonition that something would happen. At that time, it wasn't known. Sikkim was an independent kingdom. It was a protectorate of India. And then uh, India in 74, I think, marched in and took it over. Okay. Annexed it. So at that time it was an independent kingdom. And he like wanted, Tibet is. Almost like a, with China. In yeah, a way? Yeah, sort of. That kind of thing. Exactly. Oh, okay. About the same time, too. Because I, I honestly, I'd never heard of it. Until, no, it was a I tiny little country. Yeah. 
Sikkim. Neither had my friend Hope, who married the king. We were in um, college. We were freshmen in college. So we're talking 60s, early 60s? Yeah, yeah. And she, we were going on a trip with a professor to Russia. And afterwards, she came to me and she said, would you like to go to Tibet? And I said, sure. And she said, okay, I know how to get there. Just two women solo. Are you two freshmen in college? Are you kidding? How old this are you? This doesn't sound 18? like the safe, safest thing. What did Hello? your parents think of this? They said no. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. But guess what? She went by herself. Oh, my God. Nobody would go with her. her she didn't really have parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a ward of her aunt, and her parents had passed away. So she went by herself. And, of course, she didn't get into Tibet. It was way too dangerous because Tibet was at war at that time. Uh The Cultural Revolution was going on, all kinds of stuff. And she did not get in. But she stopped at a borderline hotel um, in uh, Darjeeling, the Windermere Hotel. And while she was there, the crown prince of a little country called Sikkim, which nobody had ever heard of, but it was right next door to Darjeeling. In fact, Darjeeling used to be part of Sikkim. Mm-hmm. And he came to visit his children. He had had uh, children by a previous marriage. She died in childbirth. And he uh, came down to the school to visit them. And she met him. And to make a long story short, she married him, the crown prince of this little kingdom of Sikkim. <laughs> and then what happened is a few years later, the king died, and her husband was to become the king. And she the queen. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, I was in graduate school. And I got an invitation to come to the coronation. Oh, my God, I wanted to go so badly. But I was in school. How can you leave school? The professors will want you to relish their pearls of wisdom. So I had to take a leave of absence from school. Well, I screwed up all my courage, and I went to my professor, and I said, well, see, there's this American girl, and she's going to be crowned queen, and there's this coronation, and... It's in the Himalayas, and it get, started getting crazier and crazier. Yeah. He said, well, you really want to get out of this test. I That's what really he said. want to get out of this test. <laughs> wow, I've heard some no stories. There's no way. You're going to have to This is better than the dog ate your homework. This is <laughs> a queen right. and a, in India. Okay. Anyway, so to my surprise, my professor said, when fantasy becomes reality, a member of the psychology department of Harvard should be there to witness it. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I got to go. And it was amazing to me, but it changed my life completely. I totally fell in love with Tibet, with uh, Sikkim, which is a Tibetan country, completely Buddhist, mm-hmm. except there were roads in and out, as opposed to Tibet, which had no roads and was completely isolated. There were no, there was no airport. You could only get there by walking, twenty-eight days across the border. Wow. Sikkim was on the border of Tibet and was the only pass that was uh, not to La Pass that was a good pass between the mountains of Tibet and the outside world. So it was a trading post. So what eventually happened with uh, Sikkim and Tibet, and what is Sikkim's relationship with Tibet and China? Well, at that time, there was a war going on between Sikkim and China. The Chinese soldiers were on the border, and they were sending over bombs and this and that. I went up to the front to visit them. I can't believe I did that. There's a photo on there. I also saw it. Standing behind the... Yeah, you're standing behind a soldier shooting... uh, You're standing by a Sikkim soldier? 
no, it's an Indian soldier. Okay, an Indian and soldier, and you're taking pictures of Chinese soldiers. Chinese soldiers, which you could see through the lens. It was that close. <laughs> and they were Indian soldiers, and it was 14,000 feet. It's kind of high for me. Yeah. And um, But I had been spending a lot of time at 6,000, which is where the capital of Sikkim was. I mean, it was scary. India was the army, mm-hmm. for, and it was a protector. That's why they eventually could take it over. Um so, yes, there was a war going on then, and they were afraid that China was going to take over, but instead India came in, and I don't think China ever wanted to sick him anyway. Did you ever too see... Too to get to. Yeah, right. Did you ever see any fighting or action? I didn't there? see any fighting. Okay. The Indian soldiers used to throw candy across the border to the... Oh, really? To the Chinese soldiers, <laughs> because they'd pop out. When I came there, they wondered, what is this? And they popped out of their bunker... I could see them. What did they think of this? What did uh, people on both sides think of this, you know, crazy American girl coming there? Well, it was a problem. Yeah. The Sikkimese did love her. They really did. Well, I met you. <laughs> me, as a visitor, they were very nice okay, to me. But yeah. I don't know because I don't speak Sikkimese. Well, what did they think of uh, their queen being they American? They loved her. They loved her. They really did. She denounced her citizenship. Wow. Renounced it. And um, she had two children. She was part of their lives, and she, they really loved her. Is she still with us today? Yes, she sure is. Oh, she well, is. She's my age. Okay. And she. Uh, well, not everybody's she lives still around, the, you know. Oh dear. And she lives. Not everybody in, my age is still around. She lives uh, in America for a while. She lived in England, and now. Oh, she, she doesn't have to live. Her husband passed in, away. Oh, okay. Husband, her husband died young. He was really young. They had two children, mm-hmm. both wonderful kids. One of them lives in Sikkim now. Oh, really? And has a husband and family there. Are they still the considered other, the the royal family? And, um, yeah, sure, but I mean, India took over. Sure, yeah. The brother of the crown prince, the crown prince, died under mysterious circumstances. Oh, and, yeah. And now the second in command is the king, but he's very religious and does a lot of religious. Um, he goes into caves and meditates and stuff. He's oh, not wow. around that much. Okay. And his sister is Hope's daughter and mm-hmm. lives there. Yeah. How long have you, uh, how long have you, did you stay in touch? I mean, after... No, oh, I'm still in touch. You're still in touch? Yeah. How yeah. long were you there? Like, when you, oh, how many okay. trips did you make? I made about 10 trips. There. 10? Yeah, and I would stay a couple of months or a month, a lot. I loved it. We did all kinds of projects. We did... Um, Handicrafts and sold them to a store called Lord and Taylor in New York. Sure. We did rugs. We did. Um, uh, she designed a line of clothing that they sold over here of Sikkimese style, okay. Tibetan style, and um, oh God, a lot of things we did. Then finally, we did an educational project where I brought an educator from America, college, uh, a professor of education, president of a university of education, and he, Hope, wrote uh, some textbooks for them, but the Indians did not like them because it was very Sikkimese, and they're not interested in Sikkimese culture. So what year of uh, college were you when you took off to go there? Like, were you in graduate school? Oh, yeah, I was in graduate school. We... uh, And you came back to finish, or did you... No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, I came back to finish. Oh, you did finish. Yeah, I got the PhD. What did they they think of your trip when you came back and told them the story? Well, I was kind of mom about it because (laughs) I didn't want (laughs) to... 
I didn't say much to anybody, but it changed my life. And after Sikkim was a part of India, and anyway, I came home, and I had got married, had children. And then later on when the children were in school, I started collecting Tibetan objects. Uh, there Tibetan was nothing. or Sikkim? Sikkim had nothing for sale because okay. it was a religious country. The artwork is not artwork, it's religious. And they meditate on a piece. If a child is born, they give it a, um, a painting to meditate on according to the stars, according to the uh, astrological signs, blah, blah. And then uh, there was nothing for sale. But when China took over Tibet, the refugees came out. Now, Tibet was basically destroyed by the Red Guard. They came in, they melted down all the gold from the statues. The statues were beautiful Buddhas and, and deities, and they were six, seven stories high, hmm. covered with gold. And you'd reach the top by a circular platform. And they were all destroyed. And when they finished picking out the stones, there were stones, valuable stones in Tibet. When they finished picking out the stones and melting the gold, they dynamited 6,000 monasteries. 6,000. They left two. Cho Enlai called in the army to protect the Potala, which was the Dalai Lama's residence. And that is still standing because he knew it would be a tourist site. And it is. It's mm -hmm. on the Chinese $10 bill. Right, right. So there wasn't anything. It was dynamited. Some of the very wealthy families got out with their shrine rooms. A shrine room, which was the most valuable thing to them, a shrine room was in every house. It might have been very simple. It might have just been a table and a, a picture. It might have been very, very simple with a, a um, statue of a deity that they mm -hmm. need new, old, usually they commission it. But the wealthy families came out with centuries-old Buddhas and um, paintings called tankas and furniture. They brought everything out with them, and it began to show up in the art market, and nobody knew what it was. I knew what it was, because I had been there. Right. But, I mean, I had young children. I wasn't interested in it. I had no money anyway. And so I let it go, and eventually I met a man. Somebody said to me, I'm taking you to Brooklyn. So I said, I don't want to go to Brooklyn. He said, just get in the Sounds car. Sounds like a threat. And he that said, sounded like yeah. a threat. What, are you getting in the trunk of my car and we're going <laughs> to Brooklyn? The trunk. We're going to take you to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked into this apartment in Brooklyn, nowhere, and there was a man who had collected Tibetan art forever from those families early on when they started coming out in 59. And he had a whole room, a shrine room. And I fell in love all over again. I felt at home. I felt this is where I belong. But it was his room. Right. And I mean, I couldn't take it from <laughs> you can't him. can't move belong in? to him. Move in, right. <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually he decided to not to have it anymore. And I had a small collection, but not much, and he had a beautiful collection. So we merged our collections, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, it got so big that I didn't know what to do with it. And it was very beautiful. My friends all loved it. You know, here, there's my shrine room. It's just in this I guy's house? I put it house? together in my house. Oh, in your house? It and had 
he it moved sold from it. Brooklyn to you. Yeah, he oh, sold gosh. it. And I had it and was adding to it. And he knew the families from Tibet, and he knew where the good stuff was. Mm-hmm. And they needed money for computers, refrigerators, all those things. So they were willing to part with this, although it was a real sin for them to do right. it. And because those images, they meditate on the images and eventually become those images. Right. Believe that They're sacred. They're sacred. They don't sell them. And he promised them that it would go into a shrine room. It would be a sacred space. Well, we made this promise. And I had all of these pieces in my dining room. Mm-hmm. And there were so many of them. Is this some of them? That's one wall of four. Oh, my gosh. I know. And it was paintings, tankas, and furniture, and um, statues, and everything that would belong in a shrine room we eventually managed to get. Well, it was too much for me to have. Yeah, I'm guessing shrine. your house is a little cluttered at it's this point. Too <laughs> sm- and my house is too small. The room was too small. So and I then we're decided, talking Manhattan, right? Yeah, and yeah, plus, so- I don't own it. It belongs to the Tibetans. Oh, okay, yeah. It isn't mine. It belongs to the ages. Great art doesn't belong to anybody. And I sat on it for a couple of years, and I decided to give it away. And I gave it to the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. Providing that they keep it as a shrine room like this, which they Mm -hmm. did, although they didn't want to at first because museums like to put things on a pedestal pedestal with a light (laughs) and a sign underneath each piece. And the sign, the first item on the sign is the accession number of the item for the museum. I mean, who needs that? (laughs) But they did put it in, no signage, nothing. It looked just the way it was in my house or in a shrine room or a small shrine in Tibet. They kept it that way. What are the requirements from the Smithsonian? I mean, what do they say? I mean, do they just, they can't, they don't just take anybody's collection i mean oh boy have, well the, first of all when the, red the curator, tape going somebody was a friend of mine and was a friend of the curator and she walked in the house and she said look we don't take anything from anybody everybody wants to give us their stuff yeah. and we don't <laughs> take it because we don't have any room and we don't have the finances and we can't go up and we can't go down and the whole speech so i said fine that's okay and i showed her around uh i had a lot of stuff but then I had the shrine room, which was separate. And I took her into the shrine room. And in all fairness, she was in there for 10 minutes. She started to cry. Wow. I mean, it does that to you, the Tibetan statues. It does that to you, believe it or not. Six months later, it was in the Smithsonian. Wow. <laughs> they built a room exactly like it. They measured my dining room that it was in <laughs> and they rebuilt it inside the museum and um, what year did they accept it it opened 2011 they accepted it in 2010 well this is recently yeah oh my gosh yeah so what did your 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 family your husband and kids think of all this stuff that you're bringing into the house and cl- you know, just saw, oh, taking up every room oh, and- mom is sad it again <laughs> And when we gave it away, they interviewed my son, and he said, well, when we were little, the offering bowls were always full of candy, and that's when we knew uh, company was coming. (laughs) So I guess they missed it. I mean, they can have it if they want it, but it doesn't belong to us. It really does belong to the Tibetan people. And when it opened at the Smithsonian, it was very unusual for them to have. They had candles flickering, just like it would have been in Tibet. Yeah. And they had 
chanting music with it and it was dark and quiet and it was when you walk in there you can't help but have a spiritual experience you just can't help it even even for a minute even if you're not spiritual and I'm not a Buddhist mm-hmm. in any way but it does that to you the beauty of these pieces and the history of them they've all been meditated on and the, it's it's a very unusual experience and 300,000 people piled into that place. They had so many people that they had police with guns in case wow. of a crowd control. But the people were very nice. They didn't do anything. Is it named after you, the wing? Yeah. Or the... Oh, it is? It is, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, what part, if you can tell people who are listening, if they're going to the Smithsonian, where would they, do you know what part of the museum is? Yes, there? it's in the Sackler Gallery, which is the Asian Gallery of the Smithsonian. Smithsonian has many different museums. Yeah, it's huge. It's a whole museum. Yeah, they have art, um, air and space, and they have American yeah. history and the, natural yeah, Americana, history. Americana, you know. All that. They, Fonzie's yeah. leather jacket. They have oh, all that absolutely. stuff. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and in your room. And the Asian, it's called the Sackler Gallery. Arthur Sackler donated the museum. And there's my room there. Now, it's not there yet. It's It was there for four months, and then it's traveled. It traveled to New York as an intact um, room. It traveled to the Rubin oh, Museum in New York. It's now in Atlanta Oh, at the Carlos Museum. And it is coming back to be permanently installed in the Smithsonian in October. Where it will be permanently installed. Now, have I... What happened after it left my house? I had an empty room. And I looked at my curator and I said, are we going to collect Tibetan art now that it's gone? (laughs) He said, don't talk to me about collecting Tibetan art. It's an addiction. It's easier to get off of heroin. (laughs) And I said, oh, no, no, no. And I have another room, period, (laughs) which they are taking in the spring. And they're going to expand the size of the room that was there. And it's going to look like great complete immersion. There's not a single piece of wall anywhere it's all and it's not just statue i mean i'm trying to describe it to people but but it's it's figures it's uh these wall like tapestries yes yes tapestries paintings touching each other so there's no wall visible i know that's That's how it would have been furniture that's all carved and painted yeah so intricate yeah has your uh friend the queen uh what does she think of the collection um well, I, she must love it. I mean, <laughs> Has she I, I seen it? Know. I mean, gone yeah, yeah, to yeah, see yeah. it? She's seen it, yeah. She loves it, but you know, she's Sikkim, and it's different from Tibet. Yeah. So her loyalty is to Sikkim. Yeah, but she was your entryway to all this. Oh, stuff. absolutely she was. <laughs> no, but I took a whole bunch of photographs for a book that the king asked me to, t- uh, mm-hmm. to do. At the time when it was, Sikkim was an independent king, it was like the halcyon days. It was only a period of 10 years. Oh. And... Those photographs, what do you do with them? Put them in the basement? So I donated them to the Library of Congress, and they're online, and you can get them at loc.gov. Okay. Those, those must have been the ones I saw on yeah. your page. Yeah. Right. And if you go to the web, to whatever it is on the Library of Congress, you get the whole bunch. Okay. So when you say you, you went there and it changed your life, what was... What was the Alice like before what you went, like? and what's what was it well, like post trip? You know, we were what young. I mean, I was yeah. in, in school. I was in graduate school. So Had you traveled really much formed, before that? I mean, 
yeah, we did, my parents like to travel, and they okay. always took us. Okay, so you've been yeah, around yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You've seen yeah, the world a little bit. I have, but this was something completely new. And when I got the invitation, I absolutely couldn't bear not going. What was it about the culture, you think, that spoke to you that much? When I got there, the purity of the air and the blue skies and the white-covered mountains, the Himalayas are covered with snow no matter when, hmm. and the people were just so genuine, religious and lovely. And you could be whatever you were, but you could still be a Buddhist and you could still participate in what they were. The people were so lovely. The lamas were just pure, comfortable with yourself. You just felt at home with them. And I I don't know how to describe it, but basically the art really was so beautiful. And I couldn't have it. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep going back. <laughs> when was the last time you were back? 71. Oh my gosh, it's been yeah. that long. Yeah. Have it's you heard about what it's time. like now? I mean... Yes, her children, her child lives right, there. Right, and right. I'm friendly with her son, who does go back. Um, it's very different. The Indians built hydroelectric plants, mm -hmm. and not small ones, but big, huge ones, because it's in the Himalayas, in protected areas where the indigenous people live you know, rather than building a group of small ones so they could stay there. And there are many, many Indians there, more than Sikkimis, because it's it's cool. India is hot. Yeah. You know. What's the, is there, other than the dams and everything, are there industry the up dams. there? Not really. It was basically farming. It was okay. rice. And there was oranges, and they had an orange juice factory. And the English years ago brought in cardamom, so they grew that. And there wasn't a lot of mm -hmm. big industry. But the Indians have put, you know, it was self-sustaining. Basically, there were very few roads, a way to get out, one road. What's the closest big city to there? That Calcutta. Calcutta, okay. Yeah, but I was far. You have to fly from Calcutta to the base of the Himalayas, and then you travel four to eight hours up the Himalayas. Oh. Now, the Himalayas are the youngest mountains and they're always sliding. So when you build a road that zigzags up a mountain and there's one landslide, it takes the whole road down with you. So many times I had had to climb out of the Jeep, uh, walk over this humongous, I mean, you go up by Jeep, it's the only thing they can, and walk over this landslide, boulders and rocks, <laughs> and get a car on the other side, no joke, and then do it again. Uh, and it was so many hours, uh, and there was no airport, there was no landing strip because Sikkim was all in the mountains. Right. What's the elevation of most of it? Well, you know, it goes from uh, maybe 5,000 to yeah. Kanchenzunga, which is 28,000 feet. So oh, yeah. where they live is up to 14,000 is where yeah. the border was. And uh, the yaks like it up there. They have yaks. They don't like it low. They like it How, yeah. high. How did you handle the elevation? Well, the city... Gangtok was 6,000, and that's fine. Six, yeah, that's not bad. That's like that's Denver. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's fine. That's yeah, not a yeah, problem. Yeah. 8,000 is where you begin to feel it, and then 14, but I'd been at 6,000 for a long time. Wow. Well, we're getting rocked here. Yeah. The sea got rough. Yeah. You're up here high, though. I think you get a little more motion up here. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you're up it's a little higher, higher up. Yeah, I'm down there in the bowels of the ship. We, um, it's it's not be, as. I'll be down tonight when I. <laughs> I get the water covering my be, window. Yeah, I mean, the waves that were going over my. Yeah, window. we're getting. Uh, yeah. I'm just hoping I have a show tonight. I'm hoping it's going to be, you know. Are we still okay. in Drake's Passage? I, think I don't so. know. 
I, I have to look at a map. I know we're going to the Falklands tomorrow. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, you can get rough weather anywhere. I know. I'm hanging on, though. Yeah. Usually, Boats and I have a long history. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, did this um, inspire you to see more parts of Asia when you first oh, went there? Oh, yes. And absolutely. What are some of your In other fact, favorite parts? Our favorite parts? Well, the Galapagos. I mean, not the Galapagos. The Antarctica is about the most beautiful, pristine, and it's gone now. Oh, this trip, We're yeah. left. Antarctica is so precious. Gosh, I mean. Yeah, that was really. nice. This was nice. Um what other parts? Of course, China is fabulous. Yeah, I still haven't been to mainland China. It's fabulous. It's, I know, it's I too go. big. There's just too much to go. Too much to see, too much to do. I'd too love many people. To see all that. A lot of people. <laughs> you see forever. There are three and a half of them to one of us. I know. It's crazy. I mean, you go, India the same. You know. India is the same. India is interesting. Of course, we went all over India because mm-hmm. they were part of India and we traveled around and India is absolutely fascinating, but it's a lot of people. It's work. It's work. I've been there. I was three weeks there. Yeah, but I never made it up that north. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, Cambodia is is fabulous. I do like Cambodia. And Vietnam is interesting. And, um, I mean, I've been to all those places, Laos and... I'm, Burma is very, very interesting. What yes, is going to happen go to there. it now? I don't even to hurry up. Some of these ships stop there in Myanmar, I guess. Even some of um, seaborne ships, well, they've been stopping there. Wow. Yeah. It's a wonderful place, and it's completely isolated. When I was there, there were mm-hmm. sanctions. Oh, yeah. Hillary lifted the sanctions, and I think Coca-Cola and the X and... Not Exxon, Chevron is in there. Yeah, it's opened up. It was a military regime, right? It still is, I think. Yes, it was. But they had this woman, Aung San Suu Kyi, who won the election by a landslide. They put her under house arrest. Yeah. But it is, there's a place there with 2,000 temples all in a small area. Oh, I've seen those photos of the the pagodas. It's just breathtaking. (laughs) Beautiful. And it's sunset. And sunrise, oh my God, there's nothing more beautiful than that. Have you ever had any scary incidents of, um, I don't know, being stuck at a border or with police or run-ins or the army? Well, Sikkim would be where that was, and yes, but I had the palace, you know. Yeah, and they, you had the king behind always, you. Yeah, so they always <laughs> let me in, although they were very, very rigid about um, people coming in and out. They only gave a few permits a year to her for her friends and that's the Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, when I went to Tibet, a friend of mine was um, Tibetan and he had had a cancer operation. And he said, when you go to Tibet, the Potala, which is the um, Dalai Lama's palace, behind there is a lake. And in the lake is an island and on the island is a temple. And in that temple is my is a monk, and he's my brother. Please go there and tell him that my operation was a success and that I'm fine. What? So you go to Tibet, and right away I was an FIT, foreign individual traveler, suspicious, awful. Yeah. So I immediately had two guides, which were guards. So I said, I want to go to the back of the uh, Potala 
what do you want to go there for? There's nothing there. What do you have to go there for? I said, I just want to go. So we get to the lake, and you get a rowboat to get in the middle. And he said, I'm going to row. Okay, you can row. He didn't know how to row. The thing was going in a circle, so I had to kind of help him row. And we yeah, get to use the both island, hands. And we got to the island, and I went up there was this little temple, which happens to be called the Lokong, and it's the Dalai Lama's private, sacred, secret temple. And no one's allowed in there, except they now have photographed it, and that's at the Rubin Museum. But it's kept intact. And there, sitting on the steps, was a Lama. And you can tell, because they're dressed in red, you know, with the um, thrown over their shoulder. And I said the name of this man, Lobsang Lalumpa, and he jumped up. It was his brother. Wow. And I didn't know how to tell him his brother's operation was a success, so I had to ask the um, guide. To translate? Yes. To translate. And as soon as I did that, it was, what does that mean? Why are you saying that? What does, What are uh, the significance uh, of that? And how can you say, oh, yeah. So when he left, I just emptied my wallet and gave it everything I had, which wasn't that much. Uh, but so you never got the message through? I did get the message. Oh, he did. Okay. He told him, and the guy was, you know, jumped up, oh, and he was really God. happy. Okay. But when I got back to Lhasa, they said, you're leaving Lhasa. I said, no, I'm not. I'm here for two weeks. They said, no, you're not. You're going to, and then some other place, which was nice, but I, they said, you're leaving. I said, I'm not leaving. They said, yes, your food rations have run out. Oh, God. So, Word got back. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't explain this to them. Wow. And so I left. I went to other parts of Tibet, which were very interesting. Mm. And we went down from 12,000 to 11,000, which was helpful. Hmm. If he could only taught you that one sentence, <laughs> your brother says if the operation was me, a success. You know what? I called him from the airport, and I was just leaving. My plane was leaving. I <laughs> I didn't think of it. Because if they could, like, I don't know, if you if they ever saw you hand a note or something, they might have been more suspicious. Yeah, 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 but I didn't have time. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't think of it, actually. But you didn't, he did get the message. That's pretty I amazing. I got him the message. That's great. I got him the message. That's incredible. His brother lived to be 90 or something. And um, I'm, so I didn't get to spend as much time in Lhasa that I wanted. But I did spend several days. Mm -hmm. I saw the Potala and all that. But that was about the worst run-in I've had. I don't. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but they sent these guards, guides with me into uh, oh, China to make That's sure scary, I didn't no monkey business. So you never got put in jail or anything? That's no, not, God not, that. not yet, no. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. I mean, I look back on the risk that your your friend took just to leave everything and marry this really? this guy. And she was so happy. What was, yeah. She was happy. She loved him. She and she was in school? Two children. She graduated. She came back and graduated. Oh, she did? Yeah. Uh -huh. Did you like the guy? I loved him. Okay. He was wonderful. His brother was supposed to be king, and he, the second, always goes into, well, the Catholic religion is the same. The oldest brother um, goes into family business, and the yeah. younger one goes to the monastery. This one, or to the priesthood. And this one goes to the monastery. So her, his older brother had died in an airplane crash. So he became the king. Well, he was taken out of school. He was in a monastery training to be a lama. Mm -hmm. So he's a very spiritual, wonderful 
lovely human being, the loveliest. Hmm. And the people just adored him. And he was so <laughs> nice. But he wasn't a tough negotiator in that name let the Indians take over, more or less. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Maybe they nice. would have done it anyway, but he was just... He was outnumbered. Wonderful. Oh. Yeah, I mean. So outnumbered by the army. They yeah. sent the army up there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's still Sikkim. You can still yeah. go there. What were the books you wrote? The, oh. They said you did two books. Yes, I did. Well, the king had asked me to go around and document the country. So I went to all the little villages right up on the border of Tibet and um, I told you, sometimes I was on a mule to get up there. It was hard to get there. And I photographed the families and the way of life. They had polyandry, which means one woman marries several brothers. What, including, really? Including brothers that may be very young or as yet unborn. Oh, my gosh. And apparently she knows whose children are who. And that's to preserve the land. There's very little land up there that's not mountainous and that you mm -hmm. can farm. And so to preserve it, they leave all the brothers in one family. And they have different jobs. One takes the yaks up trading. They were traders with Tibet because they were right over the border. And they go with their yaks and come back laden with wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, one is in the farmers and one is a trader in, in uh, the south. So I photographed the whole way of life and the way, they, um, the way they lived, what their religion was, the temples up there. They all had temples. The yaks, you know, the yak trains leaving, laden with stuff, whatever mm -hmm. it was, wood or um, items from Sikkim. So it's a, photo, it's a photo book. It's a photo book. Okay. And it was written... Uh, I got a writer who was married to Harrison Salisbury, who was a an editor of the New York Times, and his wife was also a writer. Okay. And we traveled together, and she wrote it, one of them, and he did the introduction. He was a writer, a New York Times writer. Okay. And so he did the introduction. They had been there. The other one I wrote myself, uh, and the one I did with her has more photographs, and it's called uh, Mountain Cup Kingdom Sikkim, published by Norton. Okay. And the other one was a young people's book, and that was published by Doubleday. And I did the photographs and wrote it also. Are they still? Can people still get them? I mean, are they still available? I, don't know, I suppose. I don't know. I never <laughs> tried. It look it up. We'll, we'll look it up on Amazon. Yeah. Or something. That's pretty I, great. I know. It was really fun. It was quite a time. Did you ever practice psychology? Sure. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Young children. Oh, okay. Very young children. Well, for a while I practiced with adults on at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Mm -hmm. And then I switched to young children, zero to three. Zero early, to three? Yes, wow. early childhood. You work with the mothers and the babies. Mm -hmm. Classes, one-on-ones. <laughs> and how much traveling do you do now? Like I do a lot. I'm gone seven months a year. Seven months? I know. Wow. I know. Where have I been? Well, Where are your kids now? They oh, my kids are, I have two, and they're both in New York, believe okay. it or not. Well, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Grandkids? So Yes. Wow. Three. Three. Do you ever travel with them, or is it all so Not yet. Not yet. Okay. They're too young. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. No, they have their, their yeah, I mean, they're young. Mm-hmm. So, um, I hope one day to take them with me. Mm-hmm. Where have um, you yet to go that's first on your list? Well, you, you know, South America was it? amazing to me it was not on my list and I oh, would really? love to do that 
I would love to see South America. We saw a lot of it. You haven't been to, uh, did you go to Peru while you were there? Did you do Machu Picchu? I did not. I have never done South America. Oh, my gosh. Period. How long are you staying on this? I'm getting off in um, Buenos Aires. Okay, so you're not staying up onto the Amazon and all that. No, some people are. That's one place I'd like to go. I'd love to do that. But, you know, I'm drawn back. When you're young, college age, and you wake up to life, I woke up in the Himalayas. <laughs> I woke up in Sikkim. So that's where my heart is. And I've been to Bhutan. It's just wonderful. I'm very comfortable there. Have you been there? No. It's. I don't think they have a lot of room for comedians up there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I can go as a tourist. Oh, it's wonderful. It's controlled. Yeah. They charge a certain amount of money, which is steep. It keeps the backpackers out. Right. It's not easy to get to. Uh, it's difficult to get to. Now you can fly. So mm-hmm. it's hard to get to. But you can fly to Bhutan if you can get a ticket. What's the? How's the political situation um, these days? They are independent, and India is doing their protection mm-hmm. on the border. I don't think there's a danger, but India has a lot of army in there. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a whole political story. But they are happy. They talk about gross national happiness. Oh, that's nice. They have education for everybody. They have um, medical treatment for everybody. It's not that destitute. They're not really poor. Of course, mm. in the mountains that are far away. Right. Transportation is not that great. They have, they're beginning to build roads. But they are happy. I mean, they, they have what they need. Mm-hmm. The Austrian government decided that rather than give its foreign aid to a lot of different countries and spread it out, they would concentrate it in one country and they gave it to to Bhutan. So there's money in there. Wow. And their weaving industry is taking off and they have hydroelectric plants and some industries. So they get, got so some infrastructure in there? A little bit, that's, yeah. That's not bad. And they have a king that and a parliament, which is kind of new. Uh, in the old days, there was a king who told them everything, how to dress, how to wear their hair. Yeah. Uh, they still, the officials have to dress a certain way, and other people are allowed to dress the way they want. Sikkim never had that kind mm-hmm. of dictatorial stuff. But now the new king is completely different. I'll have to check it they out. They have a constitution. Oh, not bad. I don't know that much about Bhutan. <laughs> I just went there as a tourist. Do you have another, uh, any trip planned after this one? Plan, um... I've never been to Australia and New Zealand, and everybody loves that. Really? I might that just seems so do easy. It. That'd be boring to you, I think, after, uh, after um, oh my God, Sikkim and Bhutan. Well, you and, know, you I'm, know, I'm... It's not as exotic, for sure, except know, the I, Aborigine I, stuff. I, I am very much in love with opera, and I perform in the opera house. I perform at the Metropolitan Opera House. You do? I do, in uh, non-singing roles, the acting roles. When you look up on stage in an opera... You see a lot of people. Some yeah. of them are singing and some are not. What have you done? Well, many operas. I've been doing it for 25 years. Wow. It depends. Um, in, in La Boheme, I'm a street walker in a street scene. Sorry about that. <laughs> still? And, you still do it. And I did uh, Tosca. I was a nun, okay? Uh-huh. Once the same day. We had a, <laughs> a street walker and a nun the same day? <laughs> the same day. Um, I'm going back to a Beethoven 
Papa oh, wow. Fidelio. And then after that, The Flying Dutchman, which is a Wagner opera about a ship that lands once every 10 years and um, the captain comes off. Anyway, it's if he doesn't find true love, he's destined to go back for another whatever, how many years. And there's a lecture here about rogue ships and rogue waves. And they talk about a ship that was somehow sunk and people see it every 10 years and they don't know quite what it was and, they, and it disappears. Amazing lecture. Wow. But I anyway, that that's one. the Flying Dutchman. Well, how often do you are you performing? Well, this time, this year, it's five operas. I ate a Bohème. Um, how many shows, like, in a week? In a week, you'll do three of one show. Oh, Depends wow. on this show. Sometimes there are two shows in a week, so you're there. It's got to take you up know. some time. I love it. It's in the evening. Oh, in the day, you have to not do anything else yeah, because the rehearsals. Right. I just got fired from an opera because I had to be on this ship because I was going to miss the the rehearsals, all oh. the rehearsals. So you can't, it's a complicated one. You have to run down a flight of stairs and fall flat on your face. How about that? And if you don't do it fast enough, they stop the orchestra and tell you to do it faster. Oh. It's hard. Idomeneo, Mozart opera. Anyway, I, I, I was willing to do it, but... I, you were going to run down a flight of stairs. We did. This is not the first time that we've done it, yeah. Aren't you worried about getting hurt? Sure. You have to, <laughs> <laughs> you have to know. One time I was center stage alone and had to faint. I had to have fainting lessons. Oh, you know, so you don't kill yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't kill yourself. I know, and you don't want to do that overly dramatic. Yeah. You know, hold your hand to your no. forehead and fall. No, 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 you have to do it a certain way. Uh, we wear knee pads and elbow pads <laughs> yeah, and right. all kinds of stuff. You know, we don't hurt ourselves. And we Wow. So it's not all that way. Some of them are, are easy. That's fun. Yeah, That's Aida fun. is easy. You come down the stairs, you, you go here and there, and then basically you walk. Somebody said to me, that was my best performance ever. <laughs> we don't do anything <laughs> much. But some of them are hard. Yeah, sure. And you get to wear like these amazing costumes. All kinds of costumes. Everything (laughs) from who knows when, from Nixon in China to to La Boheme in the, the, you know, past centuries. Oh, my God. Let's talk about New York really before we go. I mean, how you lived there your whole life, right? My whole life, yes. How has it changed for the better or worse in your lifetime? I think there's more art. Um, it's become much more vibrant, to me anyway. Um, there are lots of little opera companies popping up and symphonies. And there's a lot going on. Plays have become very popular. Um, it's become much more crowded. The population is much more diverse now than it used to be. There aren't many New Yorkers. A lot of them leave and go to California like you, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Well, it's it's also pricing a lot of people out, too. Yeah, unless you get in early, yeah, which we did, your apartments can be real expensive. Or have some crazy rent control deal. That's that, it. Yeah. Rent stable. Well, of course, everybody does. Or then it goes co-op, and then you buy it at a low price. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's that the real estate industry has completely changed from rental. Um, and then, re- then control came in after the war because the soldiers had no place to live, and the 
rents were going up, up, up. The landlords were gouging them. And then they decided co-oping because nobody could make a living off of these low rents. You know, and yeah. 1940s rent and <laughs> yeah. 1990s. So they started co-oping, uh, co and so there's a lot of that. People are there now. Are you one of those diehard New Yorkers who, who would never leave? I am afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> I was born that... there. My grandfather was born there. My father was born oh there. Gosh. I was born there. My children were born there, and my grandchildren were <laughs> all born there. <laughs> that is the closest thing to a native. I don't know. Get. That is. Does, um, do you have a place outside the city? I do. Like a summer place? I have a, yes, I do. I have a place in the Berkshire Mountains. Oh, lovely. Right by Tanglewood, which is a music festival. Yes, you yeah, know, I'm yeah. a music person. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah, living there, I realized after a while how people just had to have a, pla a place outside of the city just to decompress. Particularly you know? with children. You yeah, can't yeah. stay there with children. I mean, now there are some day camps there, the schools. But I, I've been there a long time. The King of Sikkim came. I mean, we've yeah. been there a long time. Okay, so... Before we go, just give us our New York expert uh, recommendations. What is your go-to, say, Indian restaurant in New York? Oh, man, I'm not good at that. Oh, <laughs> my favorite restaurant in New York City is the Employees Cafeteria at the Metropolitan Opera. Why? <laughs> I'm talking paper plates and plastic forks. Why? Because... You never know who you're going to sit down next to. I sat down next to somebody the other day, and they said, don't I know you from somewhere? Didn't I meet you while we were flying over the cauldron in Macbeth? <laughs> you never know. I sat next to the executioner in, um, in um, one of the operas. and yeah, It's like a commissary in the yeah, movie studio. I mean, people come down in costume, <laughs> without costume. I mean, favorite restaurants? Well, of course, the best restaurant in New York City is Per Se, which I... I'm sorry to say I've only gone to once, which is on this ship. What do you mean? Per se? Oh, is that... Uh, per se, it, the... They Keller? Have, Thomas yes, Keller? Yes, it's a Thomas Keller's that... Is, in, yeah, in He Thomas started Keller out with the French the Laundry here. in California, right. in Napa, which was named the best restaurant in the country. He then brought it to New York City, to the Time Warner Center. He's probably going to go over to the other... Uh, to the new... Hudson so Perseus in the in the Time Warner Center. Perseus in the Time Warner okay. Center. In New so I have York. stayed there. Oh yeah. In the Mandarin Oriental. Oh boy. Yeah, Lucky that was you. for a, that was for a. Uh, Who put you up for that? One? It was a movie the, studio. Oh yeah. boy. Oh, I didn't pay for it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that was not. the only time that I had never stayed in one before, and I used to go there for movie junkets and do interviews and things like that, but. A lot of times they would put us up in the Essex house. That's not bad. The, that was nice. That's not bad. I used bad. to love the bed. The bed was oh, amazing. I was a dream of the bed. Oh. Uh, oh. Or like some places in Midtown or whatever. And then, but this one time they put us up. It was uh, an Uma Thurman movie. And I think she was dating the guy who was like maybe oh, the hotel yes. owner or the, something. Ah, maybe. And uh, so maybe. she wanted it there. So that was the one time I stayed in New York where oh, I didn't God. go out. I like I stayed in my because I loved the room so much. I said, you know what? I'm going to take a bath in there. I'm going to I'm going to order room service. It was oh, great. Man. It was so nice. Um, I always tell people also, it's, the lobby of that hotel is a great place to have a drink. Because, oh, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's like 15 foot you windows look, overlooking over the park. Over the park, and the the lights suddenly go on, and they're twinkling. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, talk about favorite places. That's that's a great place. Definitely one of them. So I always tell people if you can do it, go up but there I'll and just tell have you a drink. About Oma Thurman, I 
my collection before I gave it away. We did a big, huge coffee table book about it called the uh, A Shrine for Tibet, the Alice Kandel Collection. You probably saw it on Google. Mm -hmm. And I got a writer, and the writer um, was Uma Thurman's father. He's a professor of Buddhism at Columbia. He's a really, really? smart guy. Yeah. Wow. So. It's a small you know, world. Family parties. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Children. Yeah. Oh man. So okay. So people can find this. When is it, is is the collection going to come back to the Smithsonian? Yes, it's coming back in October. In October. I think. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's what they said. It's leaving my apartment and. Um, and where is it now? It's in my house. Then oh, it's no, coming back it, from it was traveling from right? Atlanta. Okay, yeah, yeah, the Carlos Museum in Atlanta. They take it from my house. They take all the objects and they put it in the spa. What is a spa? They put it in a huge tent, deprive the tent of all oxygen, so that anything that's creepy crawly or anything that's inside any of those is killed immediately. Mm -hmm. And they can't put anything in a museum that isn't uh, pure. Oh, okay. Wow. Because it'll destroy everything else. That's amazing. And they would call me and say, oh, it's coming out of the spa. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So back in, so so in October, it's coming go back. In, in October, it's going to open in an, uh, an Asian hall, mm -hmm. and that's going to be a separate room in the whole hall of Asian. That's great. Religions and Buddhism. Yeah. That's great. Well, I hope I can be as lucky as you one day and travel around seven so months of the year. I know. Well, it wasn't always that way. Well, I know. <laughs> you earned it, though. We traveled with the opera group. Uh, you met the pianist, Michael Fenley? Yes, yes. We take a group of opera singers. We did uh, last year, year before last summer, year and a half ago, to Macau and Beijing and gave opera concerts. Oh, okay. And I think we're going to go back again, not this summer, but next year. Now, did you take... Michael, or are they just, it was part just of friends a group with you? I introduced okay. them to a conductor, and they the conductor hired them. No, I don't. Okay. I don't take them. No, I just go for fun. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you did this. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure for to meet you. Telling the world. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't dig into the. You uh, can still buy a shrine for Tibet from Amazon, probably, and it's probably marked down by now. That <laughs> a whole book shrine. You can get. You can buy the book. It's called A Shrine for Tibet. A shrine has, for Tibet. Yeah, every piece is photographed. Oh, my God. Uh, so it's a fat book, but every piece is beautifully photographed by us. Wonderful okay. photographer. Well, I'll try to find it, and then I'll put a link up to it on the site. Oh, okay. Do you have any other uh, plugs you want to, any other sites no, you can send nothing, people to? there's nothing in that for me. I donated everything to Tibet House, who published it, so there's nothing. Okay. There's no reason for me to push it. There's any no, charities you, want, you want to plug? <laughs> you could, you know, we could do that. We could promote something. Oh, yeah? Sure. Anything? Oh, no, it's well, the Athenians Opera Group. Okay. So Athenians can, Opera Group. Yeah. So okay, they great. can uh, travel. We have a 501c3. Super. And we travel and give opera concerts all over the world. Athenians Opera Group. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll put a link to it. Sure. That's great. Well, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. I hope it's it was I hope it was all right for you. Yeah, as the uh, great. You're a terrific boat interviewer. Is, boat is shaking here. Yeah. We made it through without uh, losing our lunch here. As a... <laughs> but thank you so much. Alice Candell, everybody. Yeah.